0: You're listening to the Full of Hope podcast. I'm RJ Hurd, and today is the second episode of Brian Dwyer's Journey, where he has to face a relapse and all of the things that come along with that. We'll also get into his nonprofit organization, Find Dine Frontlines. We're going to rely on you to grow our podcast, so please share it with anyone and everyone. Because with so many options for things you can watch, read, and listen to, Shouldn't one of them keep you full of hope? And now, your host,
1: Ryan Kiggins. Hey there. If you haven't listened to episodes 9 and 10, I suggest you go back and do that. Otherwise, this one might be wildly confusing, we kind of start in the middle of Ryan's story and just pick up a previous conversation that we had been having. So I uh, recommend you do that. Otherwise, enjoy.
2: i say January, February, I was feeling like I don't have cancer anymore until May.
1: Was it your oncologist then that you were regularly seeing at the Cancer Care Alliance that gave, that gave you the results from the blood work that indicated the cancer was back?
2: Uh, no well it was a it was a, someone who helps head up the nursing team that um, uh, was like my point of contact for the doctor for for everything and she called at like 6 or 6.30 on violet's birthday and um, I just remember answering the phone and I just said son I, well, her name and she said yeah and I said there's no way. And she goes, I'm so sorry. I went, come on. There's no way. I said I, We didn't even say the word. I just said, there's no way. And I said, it's Violet's birthday. And so um, that's how I found out. She literally just said she was sorry. And then that the tests showed that it was bad that we had to move quick
1: had to move quickly
3: so what's this like do we have to do we have to start over like yeah more uh,
2: came uh, out? Don't, you don't have to start over you just have to do you, you like you just like pick up when he was talking about like consolidation rounds and all that you you pick up well I picked up. Two more rounds of chemo, so I've done one. I've got another one coming my way. It was supposed to be starting in like ten days, but now it's going to be delayed because I have to have this surgery now. Um, but you do one round, and I—I'm sorry, I can't even remember what they call it. And then that you do another round right before Ryan. You remember what it's called?
1: Yeah, it is. I—I—I I, I can't remember the terminology either. But for me, there was like there were rounds of chemotherapy and then there was what they called total body irradiation TBI. Yeah.
2: Have
1: you gone, have you started any of that yet? Okay.
2: I'm not going to do I don't, at this point. I'm So at this point, um, I've just got one more round of chemo and, and then that bleeds directly into the transfusion.
4: So oh, I'll okay.
2: start my eight days of chemo at UW and then day nine will be day zero. <laughs>
1: Wow. Okay. So I hate to get procedural because this is obviously like that. This is, you know, there's a lot of emotion that goes into all this, but just to kind of um, cool people procedurally after they discovered you were in relapse, right? The cancer was back and we have to move quickly for you. It sounds like they determined the moving quickly the plan of attack is because you relapsed so quickly, they they want to jump to a transplant, the, it, which yep. gives you the best shot, right?
2: Right, and because I'm I'm quote unquote young and I'm in good I'm in good shape, they say that yeah. uh, that if I don't do it now, it's most likely just going to come back again. Then I'm playing with the success of the transplant. The older I get. Yeah. Or you, I could have had it for four years. Cause that's how long it had been like three or four years since I saw a doctor. So I could have had it for three or four years before I even knew that I had it. So like, you know, just thinking about it that way, moving forward too, it's like, if, if you don't fix it now and you aren't and now, obviously I'm big on checkups and stuff like that, but if it weren't for the pneumonia, I don't know that I would have found out up until this point that I had leukemia. I mean, I must have because it was so high, there would have been effects very soon, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, you weren't experiencing other symptoms, right? Like you, they straight up, by the way, could have just said, oh, you've got pneumonia, like we got to fix that. And yeah, then it sent you home.
2: It said that that I wouldn't have ever known.
1: Yeah, it's a big plug for, you know, it's something I mentioned on my episodes, which is, have a doctor as an adult like have a doctor and get blood work because i i was the same way like it had literally been maybe 12 years since i'd even seen a doctor so i guess for folks listening looking at things that they can do to help take control over your life because once you start down this path you feel a complete loss of control right Something that you can do is just regularly see a doctor. And I also know a lot of guys tend to just kind of ignore medical things that come up. I'm not saying you did, but um, it's something that I did. That rub some dirt on it mentality, it doesn't do us any favors. There's no shame in seeking medical attention, let's put it that way.
4: You have to advocate for yourself in these situations. And if something does not feel right, keep going back and try and find answers because with Violet, they did blood work and they found nothing. And we kept having to go back. And finally, they figured it out that that wasn't until five appointments and a biopsy later. So,
1: and persistency on your part, right?
4: Right. Yeah. But like
2: that, I think one of the biggest things is just like, as early as possible in the process, accepting that you don't have control because I still struggle with like a lot of it, but they, um, all they want is to save us. So
3: you got to find a good team. You got to trust them.
2: Yeah. That's what I it. Mean. Yeah. So it's like, you can't, if you put any thought or effort, it's just a mute point because you don't have any control.
1: Well, and to your point, or or to some of the stuff we discussed a little earlier about your spirituality, right? Like maybe you're not regularly going to church, but um, if you have that spirituality, and I certainly did, submitting control to a higher power, for me, was incredibly empowering.
2: I started doing that the second they said leukemia at Evergreen. like. Yeah. I turned it all over right then. And as is clear, like to, to, to today, I still haven't dealt with it just because things have kept rolling, but uh, it's definitely um, something that you can control is that relationship, I guess.
1: You got it. Oh, gosh, totally. Um, and there will be time, I assure you, Ryan, to reflect on all of this stuff. But your mindset of just staying in the battle, I think that's the that's what makes the most sense to do for you, you know. So Ryan, did, at what point did they start type matching? Like, how did they start um, evaluating who you were going to get stem cells from? And do you know the answer to that question? How's that journey gone?
2: It was happening before I knew about it. and um when they explained to me kind of so this all happens through a foundation called be the match and be the match lines up the the potential donors um but you don't know anything about those donors um i was i was under the impression that i have two donors that were ideal matches my brother was not your first ideal match is your direct sibling can't not any other family member only your direct sibling is usually the is the ideal match and um so for me I didn't know until well I'd say I, I probably knew about it was after the first round of chemo that they that they were evaluating people and some maybe a few weeks after my first round of chemo, I was I got a letter telling me that they had identified two donors.
1: Oh really? Okay, so had they told you that they were attempting to find somebody at that point?
2: Um I didn't understand what that all meant. They had told me that clearly I was going to need this transplant and it wasn't coming from my brother. So it was going to be coming from somebody through this foundation. So logically I knew that it was being worked on, but I had no idea that like be the match is actually like a completely separate organization. That's um, that's, you know, this is what they do. Right. So like I, I was pretty lucky where, I mean, I have friends who have, waited a really long time trying to find matches for specific diseases that they have that lead to immunosuppression. And um, I know people still dealing with it. So I was pretty lucky to early in the process, know that I had these two potential matches. And um,
1: did that feel like a lifeline to you when you found that out?
2: Felt like two lifelines and thank God, because um, now it's down to one and you don't know what happened, but I do know that, the, that, that there were two and the one we were originally planning on it, it ended up not working. Uh, and it's funny cause they say 68% or some large percentage like that, um, back out of the donors back out when it comes time to actually do it. And um, for a myriad of reasons, lots of reasons, COVID, not helping any of it. Um, but so I was mentally prepared, um, to also lose the donors. And so at this point I've, I've lost one and I have, uh, now, a like a 52 year old male in Europe and, uh, hopefully it'll be saving my life here soon.
1: Yeah.
4: A- a match.
1: It's a 10 out of 10?
4: Yeah. So we're pretty lucky. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Amazing. And so for you, you're going to be going through a little, some more chemotherapy, right? Yeah. And essentially, the chemotherapy is going to kill your immune system to the point where it needs to be rescued by something. And that something is your donor's immune system.
2: Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. It's an amazing... It, it's truly an amazing process. It's just
2: donor was,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm actually in touch with my donor.
2: I knew that. I think I heard that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can't wait to find. I just wanted. It went from like not wanting the day to ever come to like, let's just go. Yeah. So I'm hoping that my surgeries uh, that now I have to get done. On my sinuses, don't uh, drag me out much longer because it's gonna push out everything a week now. And that just gives that donor another week to have any fluke accident in the world or weird thing happen, right? So,
4: right. Well, as of COVID, they used to, and they probably did this with you, is they would have the donor donate real time. Bring it over and give it directly to the
1: recipient. Is that how yours was? My my donor was in Texas, and and I believe she donated two days before my day zero.
2: Did they freeze it? Or yeah, did they, yeah. So that's what they're doing for us. Yeah, it'll be frozen and and uh, there prior, obviously, to transplant it. So
4: just. Well, that's a good question to ask. We the stem cells might already be here, frozen.
1: Who knows? Maybe, but I got to I got to <laughs> tell you one one area that they could potentially improve this process somehow is. I asked probably about ten days before my transplant if I could go see my cells because I wanted I wanted to go see what they looked like, and they're like, oh, they're in your donor's body. And that to me, like as a recipient, I want those cells available as soon as thing possible. Like now I'd rather them be sitting there waiting for me. Right. But there are reasons, at least there were at the time I went through it, that they want it in near real time, want the cells in near real time. So they may have them, but I'm, I'm guessing they haven't quite been harvested yet. So. Well, when
4: they, something that I learned, um, when talking with the doctors, they like to do it real time for many, for obvious reasons. But when, because of COVID they're freezing it and they have to add something to it, to the cells so that when it freezes, I, it doesn't get damaged.
2: Yeah. There's like an additive involved.
1: Yeah. Oh, well maybe they have a good preservative now that can. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Well, yours were frozen, Ryan. You were, was like, I mean that was like a hundred years ago when you had yours, right?
1: I know it was forever ago. I can't believe they oh, were able to inject them. Yeah. I didn't think they had the technology back then. They did. If
4: it. it was two days, they may have just refrigerated it. Who knows?
1: Oh, that's a solid point. Yeah. I, I will say just a side note, um, just this year, so I'm now um twelve years post-transplant. This is the first year that I elected not to have my donor's additional stem cells frozen and kept. So you'll get to choose afterwards, Ryan, what will be, they they harvest a bunch of extra stem cells in case of relapse. So um, you get to decide for many years what to do with those. And this is the first year I was just like, I'm good. I'm moving on with my life. I didn't know that, buddy. Dang. Yeah. Confident, yeah. right there. Oof. It's a tough choice. Like
3: yeah. Yeah, <laughs> be like forever, probably. I don't know. Is yeah. that
4: that you pay for, or does it just like what? It, what's the process of that? I've never that's heard a, of
1: that. Yeah, that's a great question. So, what you get is a letter that says, "Hey, the cost for storing your cells is XYZ. I mm, I don't want to quote an exact amount, but it's it's not nothing, but it's also not huge. So they give you the cost and then they give you several options. Either I'm going to pay, I'm going to submit it to my insurance and hope they pay. But if they don't pay, I'm going to pay. Or I'm just not going to store them. Like those are the three options, I think. And and every year I have selected, I'm going to see if my insurance will pay. And everybody's situation is different, right? Depending on what your insurance company does. I, I think... At least the majority of the years, my insurance company paid for it. So that's something definitely you'll you'll get to you know encounter as as you go through this process, Ryan. And you know one one thing I, I wanted to share with the listeners is, you know this the the goal of this podcast, of course, is to provide to provide hope to people who may be facing something like some situation similar to yours right Ryan and it may seem a little weird that you know we're having a discussion with somebody who's kind of in the heat of the battle right now right and and literally in the thick of it but Ryan I, I really want this to be the first opportunity I've had on the podcast to share with listeners somebody actively going through this and hopefully the rest of your journey as you go through and beat this thing and how you how that story evolves over time like 100% 100% like we want to have you on as soon as you're able after the transplant and then ongoing you're going to be like a a regular guest on on the podcast as a beacon of that hope that you can provide to people and you know the strength that you've already shown and we'd love to have Violet and Alexis also on to to talk about you know their thoughts on your journey and so, hopefully, you're open to kind of having a continual engagement with us.
2: Yeah, of course, I appreciate it very much. It, well, the last couple of weeks have been hectic, and yesterday and today were lots of news I wasn't planning on prior to us talking. So it's been a overwhelming, uh, overwhelming day. But I appreciate the conversation, and I'd love to keep it going.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's. So you've got a surgery upcoming on your sinuses. Where's Where's that going to be done? You
2: dub and they uh, yeah, I have like you have eight sinuses, which I had no clue of, and like six of mine need to be addressed. And so um, they just want to address them now because the fear is that there could be infection. And if I get to bone marrow, obviously I can't have any infection without an immune system. So. Yeah. That's kind of a thought I'm pushing everything back. So it's logical and it makes sense and I'm in good hands. It's just, this is why they do these tests to find these things now. So I guess, thank God they found it.
1: Yeah, completely. Well, maybe the average person only has two sinuses, but because you're Superman, you have sure. a... No. Think I, have, about I that? think
3: I have 10. I don't know oh, if you can see this no, thing. but I
2: looked at him. I didn't believe him. He pulled up the thing. He showed me all the cavities. They go all the way into the back of your head. And mine in the back of the head and up here work. And then the other ones are clogged. But oh, wow. I was shocked. I thought they were just going to say... Uh, take spray this up your nose for a couple days but they they put something up my nose and put the monitor in front of me and I could watch it and so I saw them he explained to me what you know what we were looking for and so unfortunately we started finding the stuff I was watching it real time which was pretty crazy on the and they give you a little um they give you like basically like a Novocaine and a Lidocaine type of deal in your, in your nostrils. So you don't feel it, but you see it. (laughs) And, and then, and then on the, the MRIs, like these areas, they're supposed to be all a certain color and like none of them are that color. Right. And that's because I've had this sinus issue that I've just, it's not, it wasn't cancer. So it was never like a huge priority. And now it's been in me for like eight months and so they're they're uh, they're doing their best to rid me of it, so that they can move forward with uh, with that process.
1: Right. Okay. Well, so Ryan, did you have you had the, the lung capacity testing? So can you tell yeah, told, us just a bit about so that.
2: Well, I was scheduled for the lung capacity test the morning after my spinal, and so I was. Uh, I told you that like when I came in. When I was on my back for four days because of that spinal procedure, um, day, day one after procedure, I had that lung test scheduled. And I w- was walking in and the lady said, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to do this. And I said, why not? And then she opened the door and I saw it. It's like this machine that looks, it kind of looks like it would be like armor from like an Iron Man movie or something like that and it's in this big tube and I like looked at it and I was like, are you going to tell me to get in that tube? She's like, yep. And I said, and then that whole thing, it's, it's like, it's like an arm that attaches to a computer and lungs and, and um, you need to blow and breathe in as hard as you possibly can in multiple different fashions for about an hour. So I was in no position for that day one because my head was just already in a bad spot. So when I finally got to it, I felt like I was mentally prepared going into it. And it was, it was, uh it wasn't as in, it wasn't as intense as I thought it was going to be, but it was, you know, I understand why they have to do it.
1: Well, the people that administer, I will say the people that administer those, that particular set of testing, are uniquely energetic. Let's just put it that way. So
2: why is that? I noticed
1: uh, that. so much. Well, so a she couple took, things. She's like, k- k-, she said, everybody. Well, i even heard this. Wants,
2: everyone wants a picture of the machine. Everyone wants a picture of the machine. Like, and I was like, yeah, I guess I do want a picture of the machine. Thank you. So she took a picture of the machine. Took pictures of me in the machine. Everything was like, okay, now we're gonna. Breathe, 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 breathe. And who let it out and she was yeah. like cheerleader or something.
1: Yes, complete. That's a great analogy, the cheerleader. Um that's exactly how I would describe it. Like most energetic, positive cheerleader. And you know, people listening, don't sleep on so I think everybody can picture or imagine or do it themselves right maybe at some point just blowing out as hard and as long as you possibly can till there's nothing left to give but don't sleep on sucking in the same way like that's a whole other level like for me anyway it was it's weird and And when you
2: start doing that inhaling aspect of it um it's turned off so it's blocked there's nothing you can breathe in so when they tell you to start breathing um, I'm holding my hand up to my face right now but you go to inhale and you can't it's your mouths there's no airflow and then like a second later it kicks in and then it goes and that is really bizarre because that's almost like you're being waterboarded or something. Yes
1: totally yes and it's right in front of you like you can see you're safe but it is a it's a really unique experience let's let's
2: but it's cool how they
1: do that and they can
2: just see right there i mean how your lungs are performing versus you know how they should be and what sort of preparation they'll have to do
1: ryan are you a competitive guy yeah okay so did you have this thing with all of these tests this is probably just my weird competitiveness but on all these tests that you go through to basically baseline all of your organs, do you know how badly I wanted all of my organs to be like above average or like way above average?
2: Yeah, but that's not competitive. That's just common sense. You wanted to, <laughs> I mean, my gosh, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat, especially like that test that we just talked about. Like I was, you know, thinking about all the things I should have done differently and, in my past life going into that lung test. And, and, and it, it scared me. I mean, it really did. I mean, it scared me, but um, at the end of the day, like you said, this, this, all this stuff, you got to do it. And I understand why. and, And it, it does help a lot.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, let's move on to another, another area I wanted to focus on for a bit. So Ryan, we will absolutely continue to kind of, engage with you throughout your journey, the medical stuff that you're going through. But Ryan, you, you guys have done something pretty incredible and unique um, as a result of your experiences with, particularly with, I think the practitioners and nurses that you've dealt with. And, and I think probably stemming somewhat Uh, back to your relationship with the restaurant industry, um, which was kind of where your employment was beforehand. Can you talk some about, uh, about what you guys have started?
2: Yeah, that I can talk about. Um, We uh, started a company called Fine Dine Frontlines. And what we do is crowdsource donations from the community. And then we, transplant those transplant those donations into um, restaurants that could use the extra labor, finances, business, et cetera. And then um, we have volunteers that come and pick up those products and deliver them to frontline workers and various hospitals. Uh, we've serviced 14 hospitals in the Washington area since we started. We've served the right, just about over 8,000 meals as of this coming week. We'll crack 8,000 meals. And, uh, we're, we're going back to, to Spokane to do three drops next month. And then we're going to be in Portland and, and we're going to continue operating through my service. So it's, uh, it's, it's a cool deal because I get to watch it happen because I'm at these places when like for instance scca like i'm there when the meals get delivered usually and so i can hear the effect that it has and and now that i'm getting treatment at uw again um, the nurses and staff are coming up and they're just telling me firsthand that the difference it makes just in their weeks, knowing that they can look forward to some aspect of a, of a lunch being provided for them with everything else they've got going on. So yeah, it's, it's got some legs. I mean, it started as a, it started as my daughter and I out of the back of my car. And I guess technically I was delivering out of the back of my car on Monday. So, and I'll be doing it again on Friday. Um, But yeah, as I'm looking at it right now, we should hit, we'll be at 9,000 meals served by the end of October. So my goal was 10,000. And so now my goal is 10,000 by the time I get through my treatment.
0: To support the Full of Hope podcast, please go to the Support the Podcast page on fullofhopepodcast.com. If you believe in our goal to help people through difficult situations by being able to hear the positive outcomes of those who've been through them themselves, your support will be huge to help us grow.
1: It's just an incredible idea. Like, So not only is it a really amazing and unique way to show gratitude and thanks and appreciation to the people that are doing all the amazing work at the various hospitals that you're supporting, right? But you're providing that. So first of all, there's there's no, per, especially for a guy, there's no better way to show appreciation than through a good meal, right? So, so
2: yeah, like, I'd go hug them all if I could. But.
1: Yeah, so they're getting, and it's not just we're, we're not just talking like a Subway sandwich type of thing, right? I mean, these are From legit restaurants.
2: Yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with Subway sandwiches. Where I'm actually, it's funny you say that because I'm I'm currently working on some stuff in Oregon with with that company to get food to get food up to the firefighters
3: all okay. oh, right on but, yeah
2: but now that you now put, all the wind in my sails, so I think we'll just let it go but anyway <laughs> um, yeah anyway the, the food quality um, is first I mean yes this is we wanted to help two different people groups here. I mean, that's the whole thing. Like we, it wasn't just, we wanted to do something nice for the nurses, but I watched all my friends and customers um, from my restaurant days lose their businesses and lose their lifetime investments and lose, you know, almost everything as far as a work flow goes. So the, the key was drilling in and helping them financially and we knew that we could, if we could spark the community interest in getting behind the restaurant industry, um, even on a small level, if we could spark that, then the whole idea of providing not only vol- the volunteer opportunity, but um, the complimentary meals to the frontliners, like that was, you kill, you're hitting three birds with one stone, basically. And from a volunteer standpoint, um, in the beginning, uh, we were pretty pretty we were much more open because it was so limited and, and now, especially with my treatment starting we 've been lucky where uh, the Seattle rugby community stepped up, and what they basically have done is they have hundreds of athletes that would normally be taking part in community service efforts that can 't be. And, um, I'm, uh, one of the, one of the guys who runs their whole program is a close friend. And he called me up and said, we'd love to help you handle all your deliveries. Um, and it would be great for our guys to get the community, um, involvement going. So it, it worked really well where I was able to step back and now I, I worry less about all the logistics because, um, we've been through it, you know, quite a few times now. And, um, it's, it's generally short of people. Um, like I'd love to have your daughter, Ryan, once we get this all figured out, come help do some stuff. Uh, but right now I've, we've had it in, in autopilot mode with what we know works. And we're going to stick with that through my treatment and and step back and readdress, what we've accomplished prior to the treatment where I am physically and, and what the plan is moving forward. If we end up trying to develop this into something in other markets, which there's already demand for, or if it becomes a resume builder. Uh, but I, I, either way it'll, um, it'll be pretty cool. And honestly, I think we're going to probably hit 15,000 by December is, is what I really think. So, um, That'd
1: be pretty cool. Oh, man. I think it's such a unique scenario where you come up with an idea, right? To show gratitude and also to support the people that you've worked with that have been so affected by the lack of business, frankly, in, in Seattle, well, everywhere, right? But because of COVID. And um, so let me take just a second to take my foot out of my mouth about Subway. At Love Subway. Eat. Nobody wants to eat fresher than I do. Eat fresh. <laughs> but but what I was trying to get at was the fact that while Subway is an awesome alternative that I think the average person will on a daily basis, you know, take part in and just go out and and buy themselves a great a great sub there I think that you the the most unique aspect of what you, you've engaged in is really supporting fine dining restaurants that not everybody is, not everybody particularly that are working during the day are going out and spending that kind of money and getting those quality of meals on a daily basis.
2: Yeah, that was a that was a focus as well too because we would see especially when I when when I had treatment going on towards the end of my first year and then like watching everything spark up with COVID, like they, the people in there are, they're bringing their lunches or they're getting them out of the machine. And that's generally, you know, what their options are. And then people um, depending on on different hospitals, a lot of them don't do it anymore. um, You know, can bring in food for them and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that, them knowing like that they don't have to worry about it. Like every Monday the food's going to be there and we don't, we it's funny because we have some partnerships with, with breweries as well that are, are less food driven. And so even in those cases, we have a chef who volunteers his time to work with fine dine front lines. And he's put together, um, a list of items and and potential costs to produce these items that if the restaurant needs a little help getting to a certain price point for something that's out of their wheelhouse. Um, But the consumer still knows that they're getting a high quality, like I can't deliver um, a medium rare steak from the Met to a hundred of them to the hospital, but the Met can create a beautiful salad that, Anyone who sees the label knows, oh, this came from the Met. Like, so they know it's gonna be fresh, high quality, and that if they were in the restaurant, it's probably a twenty dollar salad. And so that's that is a cool part about it. It, it. It's a it's a it's a ripple effect. It wasn't it wasn't part of the original intent. The intent was just quality food for them. So it's it's definitely kind of rippled into more micromanagement of of where we can like who we can consistently work with and stuff like that, because there's a lot of places that need help, but we, we have to really focus on um, making sure we stick by our brand and that name.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Well, and the other part of the ripple effect, you alluded to it a little bit before, but is providing people an opportunity to volunteer? Like that's something that there's, there's big challenges around right now. You know, in in us seeking for for opportunities for our family to volunteer, so many things are off the table right now. So sure. for this rugby organization in Washington to have something that their participants can really partner with and the value that they get out of those activities as well. I mean, there's just so many tentacles to this thing that it's really, really powerful, I think.
2: Yeah, thank you. We we agree, and I didn't understand the, the, like you just touched on like the volunteer demand, but it's out there, and businesses, large and small, not just families, are are looking for opportunities to get involved in the community. And that was another good reason why why we did this is because we're a great avenue for cus for businesses that because of COVID haven't been able to have the normal communication or interaction with their customer bases that they normally would have. Um, especially in positions where there's subscribers or people paying monthly for stuff that maybe they aren't feeling like they've been getting a return on since COVID started. Cause everyone's pretty much been in the same boat. It's a great way to just, to just, gives offer something to somebody a nice branded lunch with a thank you note for their business and to deliver it that way as well and so that's kind of that's another ripple that we've seen is that we've been a solid outlet as of recently for businesses to come to us and say hey how do we get our people involved here how do we get a volunteers involved and in, how can we reach out to these different demographics that aren't necessarily hospitals geared around cancer and do it through your organization? So we're, we're, we're doing more of that. And like I was telling you, evaluating all different angles of that right now.
1: Just amazing. Alexis.
4: Keep going. Did you have a quick question?
1: No, I just saw you had something to say. So I wanted uh, to make sure you were. Heard. Yeah. You to roll out.
4: Violet, I promised Violet I'd take her to to Michael's craft store, and she's been pressing her face against the door, going, "Where are you going?" Thank
1: you so much for taking the time with us tonight, Alexis. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll we'll be in touch. Yeah. Um, Oh,
3: oh, that's funny. I thought, literally, Ryan. I thought she was telling you it's time for you to stop talking.
1: My God, (laughs) (laughs) this, Ryan. I
3: say say that all the time (laughs) to him. Just saying, but. Yeah, she's. It was really funny is I thought someone else
1: was going to say it. I'm like, oh, gonna, that's funny. Does he ever shut up?
2: Just stop talking, man.
1: So, Ren, I don't know if you've had any thoughts along this line, but when I got through the stuff that I was facing medically, I had a really strong urge and just like a, I guess, an unsettled feeling that. I need to do some, I need to somehow make something positive out of what's impacted what, what's happened to me. Right. So, and this, this podcast is, is a result of that hopefully. And it really feels to me like this, not for profit organization you started is helping you fulfill a purpose to some degree. Yeah,
2: there's no doubt. I mean, it keeps me, it allows me to just, but I need to focus on a handful of other different things than my reality.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it,
2: it's definitely um, helpful. And then it's just motivating. Cause like I said, it was something that, I mean, I did out of pocket the first month. I think I was probably for, honestly, we, we were like as a family and close friends, we were probably like $4,500 out of pocket the first month or second month doing this, um, before I had lost my job and we decided to create this to see if we could get the community behind us. And it worked.
1: Oh, so and amazing.
2: Here today. I mean, we've, we've raised right around $90,000 since March. Um, and we've raised probably 70 of that through GoFundMe hmm. Another 20 through um, partnerships with local businesses. And um, we're in a position where I can go into my treatment and know that these people aren't going to miss a lunch. And we're going to do all three of them. We're helping at some other spots, but we're going to do, we're doing Seattle Cancer Care, UW, and children's um, starting next week. We'll do them every week throughout my whole treatment. So,
1: well, don't sleep either. On not only are, are folks not going to miss a meal, but you're help literally helping save local businesses.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. It's I'm, um, they do appreciate it. They, I, I haven't. I, I that's one thing that's when I first pitch it. It often takes a second for the recipient of my pitch to. Say, like, wait, what? Because they're so used to getting pounded, we'll say, in the back of the head for the last few months by you name it, that the idea that somebody's just coming to them, trying to talk to them about maximizing their profit on a community donation, it often takes like a couple conversations or another email being like, I don't think you really understand what I'm saying here. Like, I'm not asking you for any, like, I'm not asking you to, we're coming to you and and then so once we walk out of there they're always wanting to do it again and so like so when you combine the fact that the restaurants always want to do it again with the fact that the frontline workers are going to keep eating and they deserve this i guess as long as that middle ground of the volunteers are able to get it all done and the donors continue to support like they have um you know we're we're we should be good feeding people through the rest of 2020 that's for sure
1: oh man and if people want to donate uh they should go to findinefrontlines.com is that right
2: yeah please and then we we make it pretty clear you can just i mean it's like one of your first options but the events tab on that also has um more of like the pictures and videos and it really shows people how the money spent in the community goes back months through everything that we've done. And hopefully at one point we can put this podcast up there as well, but the focus and the mission solely rely on donations of strangers. So that's just crazy to me too, because every week I go through the GoFundMe and I thank everybody individually who's donated every single person and there's been, I want to say, there's over 400 that have donated since this started. So every single, and I don't mean copy and paste it. Whether it was five dollars or five thousand dollars, they got a message also saying, "My door is always open if you need anything." So it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty
1: cool deal. Oh, amazing, and the, then the donors win too, right? Because how often do you end up donating to an organization where you're like, mm, I. I'm not totally positive how this is get getting spent, right? Like think about the idea that these people donating are literally buying people meals that are being delivered through your organization and helping save local businesses. So it's yep. just.
2: And that's why it's like the gift that I guess of social media in this case, because I truly feel that the donations wouldn't be there if we weren't able to show people how the money's being used. Cause we don't have, anything lined up saying price per plate or how, you know, how we do this. We're literally just a story and an experience and we've put it into motion on something that's been working and strangers have gotten behind it. And so, you know, as long as that kind of continues, I mean, at this point, honestly, like I'd love to see this blow up into something much larger, but I'm so happy with the effect that it's had on those, even the volunteers, but those three, those three markets, restaurants, volunteers, and hospitals, frontline workers that like, I've already, I feel like I've already done it. Like if I was to stop right now today, all those people would send me like a thank you letter. Does that make sense? So like,
1: 100%.
2: So like, knowing that we built it into a position where we can look a couple of months down the road and just say, we're okay. We can serve everybody for the next few months and just have it follow in routine. I mean, that's the sign of something that works. So we'll see.
1: It's just beautiful. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. The example you're setting too for your your kids and family and friends and community is just really very commendable and, and I'm right back at you guys. So awesome. Okay, Ryan, I think we can wrap up. I mean, so much luck coming, you know, being wished your way. Uh, prayers definitely from me and my family. Um, hey, hey, Ryan, my,
3: <clears throat> I so I grew up in Oklahoma in the Midwest and. Well, because you can see my Oklahoma Sooners team, uh, Seahawks though. For uh, my my folks, Southern Baptist, um, those churches are big down there, man. I guess mean, they're big, and so I've been in the habit of I'll send my mom a, a text, and she's got about a thousand Facebook friends, and they do this prayer chain thing. So, I'm just gonna let you know, I'm 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 send my mom a text when we're done, and you're you know, probably gonna have about half of the Midwest to be praying for you. Okay. Dude, I,
2: need it. I need a hug coming your way as well, whether you want it or not. Right on, man. <laughs> yeah, no. I appreciate you guys, and I appreciate the patience with the uh, ADD and the and the, uh, and the uh, emotions. But it's been a pretty intense couple weeks, as I said. Kind of yeah. came to a point today before.
1: Our interview. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I completely understand. And, you know, let's absolutely stay in touch. All right, Ryan, have a great night. Best, best of luck you to you. Yeah, all my love and thanks for letting me
2: talk yeah. your heads off.
1: Right on, buddy. God bless. Talk you. to you later. Bye. Little Hawks. Little Hawks.
0: To find information about today's episode, how to support the podcast, or find out how you can share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com. All of our social media info is there. Or you can just look on all platforms for Full of Hope podcast. In the next episode, we will talk with breast cancer survivor Tracy Wade. She will tell us about two harrowing experiences she's faced. The first is breast cancer, and the second, you just can't even imagine. Thank you so much for listening and sharing with a friend. And until next time, this is RJ reminding you that Ryan's story is living proof. There is so much reason to be full of hope.